Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. Playoff season is about to begin. The Alberta Junior Hockey League, the NCAA, all kicking off their playoffs this weekend. But for most leagues, it's still the stretch drive to the postseason and exciting races down the stretch in all of them. An annual marquee event in the CHL has been cancelled. And you got to wonder how world events are going to affect players eligible for the NHL draft. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Gee Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Two locations, one in Spruce Grove, one in Leduc, both obviously in Alberta, and only available at those two locations, but they will ship it to you if you live in Western Canada, any order, any size, anywhere out West. Get in contact with Trent in Leduc or Trevor in Spruce Grove, and they will take your order for you. You can order them online at wilhawkbeefjerky.com. We'll get to the uh, playoffs in uh, NCAA hockey and the AJHL in a second, but uh, let's start with uh, the news this week that the Canada-Russia series has been cancelled for obvious reasons. And if you follow me on Twitter, at TPS underscore Guy, I uh, revisited the idea that uh, myself, Dean Millard, Taylor Medic created. This would be going back probably a dozen years, I would guess. My opinion, I think the Canada-Russia series was starting to get tired. And I, I've always thought it would be better promotion for the CHL. And First and foremost, this is a, an event that's a, a tool for Hockey Canada. They want to assess players before their World Junior Camp. They have the summer camp, and then the first three months of the uh, CHL seasons. And they have the Canada-Russia series so that maybe they get another look at some of the guys who weren't at their summer camp. Uh, who have got off to a great start, you know, in the dub or the OHL or the Q. So they play a couple of exhibition games against the Russians, two in the dub, two in the Q, two in the OHL. So that's what the, the series is meant for. Now, in my opinion, get rid of the Russians. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. You got one team coming over, you're helping them assess their players instead of assessing your own, which is fine, but secondary. Also, it's one team going all the way across the country playing six games in 10 days or whatever it is, and that's not really fair. It's not a surprise why Russia doesn't usually, normally, fare very well. So my 
idea has always been that instead of the WHL playing a, a team from Russia, the WHL should play an international team made up of Americans slash all the European players who are in the WHL. Because then it's more of a showcase for the WHL. It's also a bonus thing for all the import players that are coming and playing here. And you're playing two games, so you know you could have three or four goaltenders that split the time, and uh, you could have you know ten defensemen, and you you know some of them play both games, uh, some of them only play a single game. But that way, it still allows for uh, Hockey Canada to assess their Canadian players. So it seems like it's a win-win for everybody. Just right now, now that we're not going to have the Russians play, seems like a perfect opportunity uh, to use my scenario. So, not sure if if it'll happen or uh, if it won't happen, but uh, all we know for now is that the Canada-Russia series has been cancelled. It's a lot of talent playing in the CHL from other countries other than Russia. Uh, I put out a list on uh, Twitter earlier this week of guys you know that would make up my uh, world team. I think there were four or five Americans on it, and you know the players from Switzerland and from Latvia and Finland and Sweden and the Czechs and Slovakia. So I mean, you don't have to just have Russians. Uh, also announced by pretty much every hockey. Also announced by the IIHF is that uh, Russia and Belarus are out of pretty much every uh, upcoming hockey event that I can think of, including uh, the Russians were supposed to be hosting the World Junior Championship. Uh, in 2023. That's not going to happen. They're also out of all the tournaments from participating for the next little while. I I do have mixed thoughts on, you know, the players that are in the CHL right now who come from Russia or Belarus, uh, because they're, they obviously have no control over what's happening in their countries and don't want it to, uh, they're a long way from home. All they're trying to do is, is play hockey. uh, But there's so much now international anger towards Russia. I hope that it doesn't trickle down to them. I'm thinking about a team like the Calgary Hitmen who have a player from Russia, they have a player from Belarus, and they have a player who's born in Ukraine and has lots of family in Ukraine. They're all on the same team. The Hitmen are here in Edmonton tonight to play the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, And I give kudos to uh, GM Jeff Chenoweth and head coach Steve Hamilton because that's, that's probably an uncomfortable situation where you have a Russian player and a Belarusian player and a player from Ukraine, uh, all on the the roster, how is that not a distraction? How can how do you avoid that? Uh, I'm sure they do things within the, the team to address it. What they are, I don't know. Uh, the league is actually, the, I think the entire Canadian Hockey League, maybe just the WHL, uh, but they have uh, sent out press releases to media saying, listen, we don't want, let's not talk to the players about it. Which I understand. Uh, but that doesn't mean somebody couldn't ask uh, GM Jeff Chenoweth about it. Or, or Steve Hamilton. And maybe somebody will do that. Anyway, let's jump into the usual news and notes. Maybe this week we, we've been doing standings and who's sitting where in the standings uh, lately. We haven't looked uh, at the leading scores. So let's do the CHL top 10 and then we'll look at the leading scores uh, in all the leagues. The top 10 in the CHL this week. The Edmonton Oil Kings, number one with the Everett Silvertips and the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, Following them, the uh, first OHL team are the Hamilton Bulldogs coming in at number four. The Charlottetown Islanders are the top team in the queue. They're number five. Then you've got Portland, Shawinigan, Kamloops, Quebec, and Kingston rounding out the top ten. The honorable mentions this week, uh, two OHL clubs in Flint and London. 
with the Bathurst Teton from uh, the Acadie Bathurst Teton from Bathurst, New Brunswick, also getting an honorable mention. Your top scorers in the Western Hockey League coming into this weekend's uh, play. Arshdeep Baines of the Red Deer Rebels has 80 points. He's one point ahead of uh, Kyle Krinkovic of the Saskatoon Blades. Baines' teammate Ben King with the Rebels has 78 points. Then you've got Logan Stankoven, drafted by the Dallas Stars. He's got 75 points. Those first three players all have been uh, gone through the draft once or twice already and uh, eligible to be drafted again. I think Archie Baines could actually just be signed now. Uh, fifth in scoring is Jagger Furcus of the Moose Jaw Warriors, draft eligible for the first time this year. Sliding over to the Ontario Hockey League, Wyatt Johnston of the Windsor Spitfires has 85 points, and Rory Karens of the Sioux Greyhounds with 84. Lucas Edmonds also with 84 points. He's draft eligible still this year. The Swede slash Canadian who's uh, playing for the Frontenacs. Uh, Luke Evangelista and Brandon Cope have 81 points as well. Uh, that's in the Ontario Hockey League. And out in the queue, well, Joshua Roa is leading the way with 74 points. He plays for Sherbrooke. Uh, William Dufour of the St. John Sea Dogs has 70 points. Uh, Felix LaFrance of Acadie Bathurst has 64. Uh, Jordan Dumay of the Halifax Mooseheads has 63. Bit of a surprise that he's not invited to the CHL top prospect game. Uh, Patrick Gray of the uh, Charlottetown Islanders has 62 points. That's your top five in the queue. A quick look at the uh, top 20 in the CJHL. Maybe we'll just do uh, the top 10. This is at the uh, end of February. Uh, the Brooks Bandits, still the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, Long Gill up to number two. Ottawa is at five, followed by Summerside. Spruce Grove all the way up to number five now. So two AJHL teams in the top five. Uh, Cam River is six. Red Lake, seven. St. Jerome, eight. The Sioux Thunderbirds are nine. And Estevan is Number 10, uh, the AJHL playoffs do get underway this weekend. The Alberta Junior Hockey League, I do have a guest on the program today uh, who will uh, take a much closer look at that. I'll tell you who that is in a second. Top scorer in the USHL continues to be Stephen Halliday from the, the Dubuque Fighting Saints. He has 66 points this year. His teammate, Connor Kurth has 62. Uh, both of them still draft eligible as they've gone through the draft uh, once already. I'm really sure Stephen Halliday gets drafted, and I think there's a good chance Connor Kurth could get picked up uh, as a later round pick as well. Jackson Blake, who has been drafted, Carolina Hurricanes a draft pick going to North Dakota. Uh, he has uh, 61 points. He's third. Uh, Jeremy Willimer, who is uh, very productive but very small, listed at 5'6". Not sure he'll get uh, selected. Uh, Quinn Hudson, well, we know his brother Lane Hudson is going to get uh, drafted, uh, but Quinn... Having a fantastic year with Muskegon, he has 57 points. I think there's a chance he gets uh, taken this year as well. Maybe the same team will draft uh, both Hudson brothers. That'd be something. Alexander Malinowski uh, still leads the North American Hockey League in scoring with 62 points, but uh, Jake Black and Cole Dubicki hot on his heels. They both have 61 points. Now, uh, Malinowski has only played 46 games. Black has played 47, and Dubicki has played 50 Cade Nilsson, who has been on the show, he plays for Aberdeen. He's next with 57. And Sila Clark is tied with Hunter Longy, uh, both with 55 points. Let's end it with the NCAA. And the uh, top scorer right now is uh, Bobby Brink. He's got a, a pretty good cushion atop the NCAA scoring race. He's got a six-point lead. He has 50 points. And Nathan Smith at Minnesota State has 44. But 
a Denver Pioneers junior, Bobby Brink, drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. He has 50 points, playing exceptional this year. Denver uh, in the NCHC, that's uh, one of two conferences that is not starting their playoffs this weekend. Uh, both Hockey East and the NCHC have one more weekend of re regular season hockey to go. But the Big Ten starts this weekend. Minnesota finished first in the regular season, so they get a bye. Meanwhile, Penn State will play Ohio State. Notre Dame takes on Wisconsin, and Michigan will go up against arch-rival Michigan State. The ECAC tournament uh, begins with Brown and St. Lawrence. Princeton will take on Union. Uh, RPI tackles Dartmouth, and uh, Colgate looks to brush away Yale. Toothpaste joke. First round in the CCHA sees Northern Michigan against Lake Superior. Bowling Green at Bemidji State. Michigan Tech welcomes Ferris. And St. Thomas, the Tommies, are taking on Minnesota State. And in Atlantic hockey, uh, the first round, Bentley against Niagara and Holy Cross against Mercyhurst. Now, most of those, there's eight other teams in the conference. They all get an automatic bye to the next round. Sorry, did I say eight? There's six other teams. Anyway, a couple of the matchups this weekend are, are pretty significant in Hockey East and the NCHC. The St. Cloud taking on Minnesota Duluth with uh, seeding really on the line as uh, those are the, they're ranked number four and five uh, in the conference right now. So lots on the line in that one. And Northeastern against Merrimack, very much the same thing. And all of these teams, well, not so much Duluth and St. Cloud, but Merrimack and Northeastern uh, on the bubble here for uh, the pairwise. Uh, Northeastern and Merrimack 16 and 17, respectively, in the pairwise. So to get into the national tournament, I mean, anybody below that 12 line is probably on, well, you're definitely on the bubble. Any wins you get right now are a big asset or a big help. Uh, to help you qualify for the national tournament. Now, that said, either one of those teams could actually win Hockey East this year and get the automatic bid, so uh, we'll see. There's still room for both of them. But ahead of them in the pairwise is, like, Massachusetts, who's at, at number 10, and a BU at 15. So there's Owen oh, Mass Lowell as well is ranked uh, 14 right now. So there's lots of Hockey East teams right in that bubble. In fact, 14, 15, 16, and 17, and 19, and 20, all from Hockey East. The Pipeline Show is proud to be associated with uh, Troubled Monk. They are the sponsor of the hotline. All my guests join me, courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. Craft beverages worth sharing, and we see beverages because it's not just beer. They've got uh, delicious sodas. If you haven't tried their iced tea, I totally recommend that. And uh, my wife loves the ginger ale. I do, too. You can also get cans of adequate vodka soda. It's a lemon-lime flavor. They have a gin and, of course, all the uh, the brews that you've come to expect. And uh, the new one this week is called Weird History. It's a uh, really cool black and purple can. It's called Weird History. They say it's a mysterious style that our head brewer discovered in an ancient dwelling hidden at the end of a labyrinth that only opens its doors once every 100 years. Either that or he made it up and lied to us. Weird History has an origin, but it's complicated. They say it's a strong beer, so if you like strong, you might want to try Weird History. Now, you uh, they're not doing the home deliveries anymore, so you got to go pick it up. There's a few different locations that you can pick it up. If your local liquor store in Alberta doesn't have it, uh, demand it. Find out what's going on. But you can uh, order online and pick up at select locations as well. In Red Deer, you can pick up right from the uh, Troubled Monk Tap Room. In Edmonton, you can go to the Bountiful Farmer's Market and in Calgary at the Calgary's Farmer's Market. So you can place your order online at troubledmonk.com shop, and then just go to those locations and pick it up there, and it'll be waiting for you. 
All right, my guest list this week, I have three of them for you. We will begin with a Brandon Ewan Sheshin. He is the voice of the Spruce Grove Saints. I, I mentioned the Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs begin this weekend. Well, the Saints are off this weekend because they were so good. They got a bye uh, through the first round. They and the Brooks Bandits will await to see who their opponents are. Uh, but Brandon stops by to talk about that, set the stage for the playoffs. And we also uh, learn a little bit about a new startup league in Alberta called the JPHL, if you haven't heard of it. Well, listen to the segment and get educated. From there, we'll uh, head to an NCAA campus report. Dave Starman, analyst extraordinaire. He's my guest. We'll talk uh, a lot about the NCHC, but also about the World Junior Championship uh, in August. Uh, he's a guy who covers that for uh, the NHL Network. So wanted to get his thoughts on that and some other things that we throw around with Dave Starman. And uh, we will turn on the 2022 draft spotlight and we're going to chat with another guy who's gone through the draft once before but having a terrific year for those calgary hitmen they're in town tonight to play the edmonton oil kings he's leading the team in scoring he's an edmonton product riley fiddler schultz is his name we'll get to know him today on the pipeline show as well let's kick it off though with a look at the ajhl playoffs brandon you and Sheshin is up first here on the pipeline show brought to you by willock beef jerky Jackney won it, left half towards McCarr, skates down the boards to the corner, stops up there, then got around a defender to the side of the net, cuts in front, shoots, and scores! A thing of beauty, a work of art, Kale McCarr just took over this whole game, dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner, cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Time Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15 with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show. You have my curiosity. With Gee Flaming. Now you have my attention. Back on The Pipeline Show, and we're going to begin this week's episode looking at the upcoming Alberta Junior Hockey League playoffs. A reminder, The Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Two locations, one in Leduc and one in Spruce Grove. And hey, we're headed to Spruce Grove for this conversation as we're joined by the voice of the a Spruce Grove Saints, that would be Brandon Ewan Cheshire. Brandon, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Appreciate you having me. And I will say that uh, the Wilhawk beef jerky just down the road from the rink, it, yep. it's some of the best in the world. It's unbelievable. It is fantastic. I I always talk about it on the show, and I think people just think, well, they're a sponsor, so he's talking them up. But, man, it's fantastic, for sure. All right. Also fantastic. Here's my good segue into the AJHL, but fantastic season. And I, I have to credit the league. I, when you look at all the rest of the junior hockey leagues around it, there's been lots of stops and starts and some post, a lot of postponements in, in some leagues. It seems like the AJHL, I mean, there may have been a handful of games here or there, or did I miss a bunch of news? Because it seems like uh, you started and stopped pretty much on schedule. Yeah, I think the league, well, obviously did a great job 
Uh, in terms of stops and starts, there was a few postponements here and there, but all the teams ended up making those games when they could. Nice. Um, so, yeah, uh, for, for the first time in two years, um, things are back to normal, and each team within the league got a full 60-game season uh, in, which obviously is a testament to the league, the province, the teams, the organizations, uh, everybody working together to make that possible. And I'll even attest for the Saints where – there was a lot of strict protocols put in place and at times it wasn't fun to follow them, but at the end of the day, it allowed us to go back to somewhat of a normal and get a full 60 game season, which was awesome for everybody. No, I know uh, every league has been struggling the last couple of years uh, with uh, attendance and obviously trying to make some money. It's a, it's a business as well. And I imagine that was a challenge this year too, because of some of the restrictions, you know, off and on throughout the season. Uh, how, what was attendance like for, for you guys in Spruce Grove? Yeah, um, with the 50% restriction, obviously that takes us down to 700, 750 people within the Grand Fury Arena. Um, and it, it wavered throughout the season. Um, you know, we opened things up wide open. Uh, it was great with the exception of having masks in the building. Um, and then Christmas time came around and the attendance dipped down to that 50 and we had to sit there for a bit. Then we got the food and drink taken away. Mm-hmm. And now things have started to come back. We got the food and drink back at the beginning of the month. Uh, we had a full 50% crowd for our last four home games. It put us up, puts us up to 750 people. And now with that new announcement just a couple of days ago, uh, we hope that things ramp back up to that 800, 900, and right where the Saints fans know that they can be, especially in playoff time. Well, and that's perfect timing. Uh, March 1st, uh, for those who are just uh, listening from outside the province, uh, restrictions are gone in Alberta starting March 1st. Uh, uh, so everybody will be able to uh, pack the barn and uh, no more masks or anything like that. Food and drinks are, are back on. Perfect. Uh, just in time for the playoffs. And the Saints, well, you don't play this opening weekend, though, because you're too darn good this year and uh, finishing in first place in the uh, Viterra AJHL North Division. Uh, this has been a pretty strong season again for the Saints. It's been a couple of years since we had playoffs, but man, it seems like uh, in in regards to the the top teams in the league, some things don't change. Yeah, um, yeah, things are staying the same in that regard, at least for right now. Uh, speaking of Spruce Grove, though, uh, another great season. Uh, the head coach Bram Steven, GM Rob Skarouk, again doing a great job uh, every year that those two have been here. So that's four seasons now. They have. Uh, successfully hit that 40 win mark which is obviously a big feat for for any junior team and then uh, secondly to that they actually tied the home record this season in franchise history for the spruce grove saints in the modern era in spruce grove wow um unfortunately they couldn't beat the record with uh one more win because it wouldn't have any more home games but uh this team, uh, something special for sure, is they're able to to match the all-time record for, for the Saints at home in Spruce Grove. All right, well, let's uh, talk about the, the team and who's getting it done. Who are the, the guys that have led the Saints to so much success this year? Yeah, Brett Foe and Caden Galt are, are the two that I'll hit right off the top. Both those guys pretty much finished the season tied for the team leading points. And Caden Galt, the guy that can just put the puck in the net. Uh, you can give it to him really anywhere on the ice and – He's got a wicked release and a, a Chris Van Oshaw, if you remember him, type shot. Yeah. Uh, and Brett Foe on the other side possesses uh, just as much skill, great hands, and those two combining together along with Luigi Benacasa this season have been standouts uh, for me. Uh, on the back end, Braden Virtue was a QMJHL player. He played there for 147 games or so, and he came here for his 20-year-old season with the Saints. Uh, really impressed me, fantastic skater. Uh, at both ends of the ice, 
uh, had to play forward at times this season, had no problem doing that. Uh, I flipped back and forth. And uh, a couple of weeks ago now, I'm admitting to Carleton University in Ottawa, so he gets to continue his career. But uh, those are some guys that have really stood out for me. And then uh, on the back end, I'm sure you saw the goalie goal by Tristan Martin yep. uh, about a month ago now. But, uh, yeah, ever since he came in from Olds two or three months ago, he's been rock solid. And I'm sure that's what the coaching staff uh are going to do with him is just play him as much as they can here in the postseason. Now, I know Foe is going to Bowling Green, I believe, and Benacasa is uh, headed to Ferris State. Where is uh, Caden Gold uh, headed, or has he committed anywhere yet? Uh, he has not officially committed anywhere yet, uh, as we speak right now. Um, there might be something in the works here in the next couple of days, but uh, no, as of right now, he is he is not committed. All right, interesting. Uh, we'll watch for that breaking news eventually. Uh, by, by the weekend, do you think something might happen? Yeah, yeah. If it if it doesn't happen by the weekend, then it won't happen at all. All right. Well, the full show comes out on Friday, so there'll be you know some audience that gets to hear this conversation uh, uh, a little bit earlier than that. But uh, by the time the news, if the news breaks, uh, the, we won't have spoiled it here on the show. Uh, Brandon Ewan Session, the uh, voice of the Spruce Grove Saints, is my guest here as we look ahead to the upcoming AJHL playoffs uh, getting started this weekend. But the Saints getting that first round by, how important is that? at this time of year to, to get a bit of a break. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, the Saints right now finished the season on a 10-game winning streak, so uh, things are going extremely right for the club. Uh, you know as well as I do, any rest you can get in the postseason uh, pays dividends, especially towards the end. So for these guys to get from essentially last Sunday up until March 18th off when it comes to gameplay is uh, critical for their health and hopefully the longevity of the playoff run. Uh, in saying that, though, I know that the coach, uh, Bram Steven, is going to put them through their paces here in these next couple of weeks of practice to get them ready for that first playoff game on the 18th. You can also make an argument the flip side. I, I agree with you. The rest, nice this time of year. But when you've won 10 in a row, maybe you don't want to take a break. Maybe you want to get going and just keep the ball rolling. Yeah, we've had that conversation for sure uh, here and there. Um, but just watching these guys play and watching the way Bram runs his practices, he almost practices for an opponent that they never might face. Right. Uh, and in saying that, I think that these guys will definitely be run through the paces. Obviously, you can't directly replicate gameplay, but these guys will be ready to go. All right. Well, seven teams make the playoffs in each division. The Saints, number one, to get that by in the first round. So will you'll just automatically play the lowest seed of the the three teams that come out of the uh, the opening round? Yeah, that's correct. All right. Uh when you look at the uh, the six teams that are playing in the first round, is there one in particular that possessed more of a challenge for the Saints than uh, the others this year for whatever reason? It just could be the 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 team in the bottom of the standing. Sometimes it's just the way two teams match up. It uh, it's interesting the way things play out. Was there a team like that for for Spruce this year that the not that you necessarily want to avoid, but might be a better or a bigger test than the others? Yeah, I mean, if you want to go down that road, I think the Saints are will be a little bit fearful of Drayton Valley. Uh, they're the only team this year that the Saints didn't win the series against uh, regular season-wise. Okay. Uh, Drayton beat them twice in regulation and once in overtime, so that one ended in a tie. Um, so I, I think Drayton's a, a, a team to look out for. When you look at Eric Thurston and the job that he's done in Drayton Valley ever since taking over, uh, minus the two COVID years, every time he's played against the Saints, it's been a good matchup. Um, and the other series I want to touch on as well is the Oil Barons and Fort McMurray taking on the Crusaders in Sherwood Park. Um, you know as well as I do that Sherwood Park and Adam Mana parted ways. Their head coach, 
four or five months ago. Then he got the job in Fort McMurray when Gore Thibodeau stepped down, and he gets to go against his former team here in the first round and former colleague in Jeff Wywitka, who's now the head coach of the Crusaders. So that one will be interesting to watch as well. well that is a great sideline story for sure. And uh, Well, if there's no upset in the first round, you would get Drayton Valley in the second round. And if there is an upset and it's Fort Mac, uh, that gets knocked out by Sherwood Park. That's a crosstown rivalry and Sometimes you throw those rivalries, the stats and stuff out the window when you get two rivals head to head. So whatever it is, it's going to be a challenge uh, on the way uh, to the Interpipeline Cup uh, this year in the AJHL. When you look at the South, uh, everybody's going to see Brooks as the number one team uh, in the in the entire Canadian Junior Hockey League. Would you be surprised if anyone was able to knock them off before the final? Uh, you know, the smart answer is no. Um, but the only team that that I would really look at to give Brooks a bit of a run would be Drum Heller. Um, they recently lost to them in the last weekend of the regular season. Uh, I think it was 3-2 last Saturday in Drum Heller. So if they do get to play Brooks, um, seven-game series, you'd expect the Bandits to walk away with it. But uh, I wouldn't count the Dragons out down there in the south. All right, Brandon, you and Cheshire is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. And, uh, Brandon, you were telling me about this new league, this new startup. Well, you describe it to me, the JPHL, and, and what that's all about uh, here in Alberta, and I guess in BC as well. Uh, where do you start? How do you describe the JPHL? Yeah, so our, our guys at Silent Ice and Sp- Sports Entertainment uh, always do a great job to innovate and you know try different ways to develop athletes, and that's what they've come up with here with the Junior Prospect Hockey League. Now, they got three divisions right now, U18, U15, and U14. Uh, it is comparable to a CSSHL model, but different in the sense of there's nine hubs across Western Canada. There's five in Alberta and four in BC, and the schooling uh, is the biggest factor in this, where the kids can choose the option of public school versus private school, just an option that you don't necessarily have in, in other development streams. Uh, and then the people that they have involved, um, there's lots of names within the hockey world that are involved in this league and you know as soon as things start to progress here in the summer and these guys start recruiting for their teams i think this might become a a hot commodity for athletes that are looking to you know take a different option than regular winter hockey in hockey alberta or the csshl Uh, maybe they'll come here and work their way into this league to then find their way onto a junior eight team and into the NCAA or even a Western hockey league team and, and take that route as well. All right. And there's, so there's going to be five programs in Alberta and four in, in BC. That's at the U14, U15 and U18 level. Uh, where are they all in Alberta? Yeah. So they're spread across the province. Uh, there's one in Edmonton, one based here in Spruce Grove, uh, Calgary, Lethbridge, Lloydminster are the other ones here in okay. Alberta. And then in BC, Langley, along with Okanagan, uh, Vancouver, and the West Coast Wild, who are based out of uh, Victoria, are the ones in BC. And yeah, if anybody wants more information on it, it's it's online at juniorprospectshockeyleague.com. It's got all the information you could possibly want uh, as to how the league works or how you can find your way to contact somebody within those nine hubs to uh, get a tryout or get recruited to play on their team. Okay, St. Teresa is the one in Spruce? You bet, yep. All right, well, that gets going uh, next season, right? 2022-23? You betcha, yeah, hitting the ice here in September of, of this year. 
Well, Brandon, as always, man, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck to you and to the, well, I guess you're not playing, but have a good call and stuff like that. But <laughs> best of luck to the Saints uh, in the playoffs as the AJHL gets going here in the postseason starting this weekend. Thanks for doing this. Always appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm probably just as excited, if not more than the players. Been waiting two <laughs> years to go back to playoff hockey and it's about time it's here. I hear you. Good stuff, man. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. There's Brandon Ewan Sheshin from the uh, Spruce Grove Saints, and uh, almost seems like suddenly out of the blue, we've got AJHL playoffs this weekend. Still got lots of time left to go in leagues like the WHL and the, the USHL, the NAHL, but uh, Junior A in Canada, uh, it's playoff season. March 4th, they all start. Your matchups Sherwood Park taking on Fort McMurray. Whitecourt has Bonneville, and Lloydminster will play Drayton Valley in the south. It's uh, Calgary against Drumheller, Canmore against Cam Rose, and Black Falls, the new team. They finished fifth this year in the South. Uh, they will start on the road in Okotoks against the Oilers, Spruce Grove, and Brooks getting those first-round buys. Up next on the Pipeline Show, an NCAA campus report with uh, analyst extraordinaire Dave Starman. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Time for an NCAA campus report brought to you by our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility, get in touch with College Hockey, Inc. They'll steer you in the right direction. All right, let's get to my uh, guest who is uh, one of the best analysts uh, when it comes to hockey. It doesn't matter what level he's happens to be uh, college hockey, but uh, he could be, hell, he could be a Division One head coach, uh, except he won't take a pay cut. Uh, Dave Starman, welcome to the Pipeline Show. <laughs> What's up, Blaze? How are you, man? That's funny. I'm doing great. Uh, great to talk to you again. I know we were supposed to do this last week, but you, what, you were vacationing in Florida and uh, that ran a little late? Uh, Boy, you're living the big life. So I'll confirm two things. Number one is I'd love to be a Division One head coach. And number two is, uh, yeah, we were in Florida last week. So it was kind of interesting. We did a game in Duluth last Friday where it was about minus 10 or so. And then our son's 16U AAA playoffs and his all-star game were in Palm Beach because that's where the league office is. So we flew down there to watch the playoffs. And, and then he, they flew back to New Hampshire. We figured, why fly back to New York for two days and then fly to Grand Forks? Let's just stay. So we stayed a couple extra days and then went from 85 degrees on Thursday morning in Fort Lauderdale <laughs> to minus 11 in Grand Forks. And minus 11, that's Fahrenheit. That's still really cold here in Celsius, too. So uh, That is chilly, yeah. <laughs> but you got back in time to watch a, a pretty good weekend series there, North Dakota. Is, I, have they basically secured top spot in the, in the conference? I know there's one more weekend to go, and you told me it's a big one. Uh, what's still at stake? I think they need two points to lock up. The, their third consecutive Penrose. And what's interesting is last week, or yeah, I think it was the middle of last week, Brad Berry brought their entire team, the head coach of North Dakota, brought the entire team to center ice after practice. And they were looking up at where the conference championship banners are hanging. And he talked to the team about how great would it be to, to be able to add a third consecutive one to the, to the last two. And for a lot of the players, keep in mind, they brought in 14 new players this year because half their team signed NHL deals last year, which is amazing to think about in itself. But they, they brought in nine freshmen and five grad transfers. So this is basically a new core. And a lot of those guys are kind of along the lines of, hey, your three in a row are terrific for us. We'd like to win one and contribute to, contribute to you know, the, the, the flags that are hanging in the building. So it, it's been a really neat season for North Dakota. 
nobody thought they were going to be this good. People thought they were going to be good. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And especially Sanderson out for a good chunk of time and Payne and Sendin missing from their big line. And I mean, they have just been a next man up fraternity all year long. And the, the job that their players have done, their leadership's done, and their coaching staff has done could be the thing that you write a book about when it comes to leadership. Well, North Dakota has Omaha this weekend, and uh, the only team that can catch them is Denver, who is also uh, busy this weekend. They've got uh, Colorado College, but both of those teams are ranked a lot lower right now in the in the uh, standings from uh, both North Dakota and Denver. So I don't, I'm not going to say you can lock in a sweep because it's the NCHC. You can't. You got to bring your A game every night, and anybody can beat anybody. But on paper, it looks like both of those clubs should have success this weekend. On paper, yes. I would tell you this. Don't ever count on Omaha. I, I Omaha, to me, is just missing, like, they're missing the big hammer. I was talking about this the other day with somebody. Every team in the NCAG in their top five, they've got that big stud player. Omaha doesn't. They've got a lot of really good ones. Uh, the goalie's good. The defense core is good. They're good down the middle. They've got strength on the wings. They're well coached. They've got a lot of really good. I don't know if they have a great and when they start to get some some great, Omaha's going to take the next step. But right now, I really like the way that program is built, and I like their team. So it is no guarantee North Dakota walks out of Omaha with six points. And Colorado College is an improved team. They've played hard. They have given some teams fits. I think they believe in themselves. And with the gold pan trophy on the line and that rivalry between the two in-state teams, that's not a lot for a sweep either. All right, that's fair. Is Dominic Bassey back in, and playing yet for, for CC? I believe so, and boys, he had a nice season, and I, I, I love, I love the, the story that he has written, starting with last year in the pod when he when he took over for Matt Vernon, and with, with Matt struggling a little bit, and I know Matt's kind of brought his game back to, back to the level, but I, I the times that I've seen Bassey play this year, like I, I think he's going to get a contract. I know he's a draft. I think he's going to get a deal from somebody, whether it's his draft team or somebody else via free agency, and. You know, he reminds me a little bit of like a kind of like a slightly less version of what Charlie Lindgren is, and I think that he'll have a chance to be a good pro. All right. Well, it's the Chicago Blackhawks that drafted him. I, I don't think they have to sign him just yet. I think he's still got a, a year or two uh, before he, he gets down to crunch time. Uh, the weekend series I'm looking forward to this weekend is Duluth against St. Cloud. you got the number four and number five teams in this NCHC uh, standings going head-to-head. How important is that? Uh, that seeding once the playoffs start here, I guess, would be not this weekend, but next weekend. Uh, this is this is a good one because those two teams, because of some cancellations due to due to COVID, those two teams played on Tuesday nights, like the last couple of weeks. I think they played like two weeks ago, or and then they played last week or three weeks ago, and then this week. But they've they've had a couple of Tuesday night games against each other, and now they got the two this weekend. And those two games this weekend will determine where those two teams will play each other in a best of three next weekend. Yeah. So this is a huge series. Now, here's the other kicker. Let's say they split. Both those teams will probably get some some love in the polls. And, I mean, you know my disdain for the polls. But both those teams will get some love in the polls. And there's a pretty good chance that they'll both finish in the top ten. And now you're looking at a top ten team going on the road in the opening round of the playoffs, that's almost unheard of. Wow. If, if that doesn't show the strength of the conference, I don't know what does. But I, I think that this is going to be a great series, and I know for a, a lot of reasons, both those teams want to play in their home ring, St. Cloud State on the Olympic sheet, and Minnesota Duluth because of how well they play in their own friendly conference. 
Dave Starman, my guest here on the Pipeline Show uh, with uh, CBS Sports Network covering the NCHC. And uh, now it's one of the two conferences that don't have the playoffs starting this weekend, um, but most of them do get going. Of course, the conference playoffs are super important because obviously bragging rights within your conference, but you have to get that automatic bid to the national tournament as well. And uh, I know you don't have the pairwise sitting right in front of you, but looking at it, there are some pretty familiar uh, teams that we're used to seeing in the national tournament that might have to win their way in. Uh, I mean, Northeastern is ranked 14 right now in the pairwise. The Riverhawks from uh, Mass Lowell, uh, BU, Clarkson, Providence, they're all on the outside right now. Uh, are, is one of those teams maybe more of a surprise to you, a shock, or would it be really weird to see one of them uh, not being in the national tournament? I'll give you this one. How about Boston College sitting somewhere in the 30s in yeah. the pairwise? Like, I, I didn't think I was going to live that long to see that happen. And I mean, I know they've had a tough season, and you know, there's one of those teams you want to talk about having to win your way in. You know, I, I think I know they split with BU, but you know, BC is. I think they're just scrapping for wins uh, in general. And you know, with the teams that you mentioned, I, I think Providence is always an entertaining team when they get in, and you know, Clarkson is a is a good team that. You'd like to see take that next step, and I think they're on the cusp of being. They're a good program. There's another one of those teams that could be on the cusp of really moving ahead. And remember, they they had some guys sign some deals too a couple of years back, including Sturm. So mm-hmm. uh, that's been a good program. I, yeah, this I think at 14 for Northeastern, that to me is right around the cutoff point. Like at 14, if you can continue to stay afloat and win your games, you should be in pretty decent shape. But I mean, I wouldn't take anything for granted if I was them. If you're at 15 and 16, because don't forget. The Atlantic champ is going to get the 16 spot and the, and the auto bid out of that. So that takes one spot. So really you're looking at the top 15 in the pairwise coming in, and that is a bubble. You don't want to sit, be sitting anywhere between 14 and 16 on conference tournament weekend. And the Atlantic conference, uh, that automatic bid, I always seem to have a, a soft spot. I always want to see Air Force do well. Just for selfishly, uh, the, the press conferences with Frank Saratori. They're celebrating 25 years of uh, Frank behind their bench as head coach. Uh, you've been around this game for a long time. Give me a couple of thoughts on Frank Saratori and just what he means to college hockey. Uh, Frank might be the most entertaining and, and enter, he's entertaining, he's enlightening, he's intelligent, he's, he's fun, he understands the game, he's great for the game in terms of his personality, he's great for the game in terms of of his coaching ability. Like I've watched him do a lot of presentations and, you know, I still teach for checking the way he taught me how to teach for checking. And that was at the 2001 masters symposium in Salt Lake city. So this is what 20 years later, I'm still teaching it the way Frank taught it. And I, I know he's been there 25 years. I would hope he's there another 25. That He is one of my favorite people. I love the guy. And I'll give you a great Frank line. Uh, we were teaching at a hockey school together in Brainerd, Minnesota in the nineties. This is when I was, coaching in the Central Hockey League, and I said to him, I said, I would have to assume that with Air Force, you guys fly everywhere, right? And he goes, Dave, we're not the bus force. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I mean, I didn't skip a beat, right? We just, boom. And, and that, I mean, that to me just sums up Frank. He's just, he's quick and he's funny, and, and he does it in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're a total idiot, even though at that moment after asking that question, as soon as it came out of my mouth, I feel like I was a total idiot, but he was good about it. Uh, oh, I just laughed last week. He shows up to their uh, pregame uh, press conference uh, before playing against RIT, and he's wearing a hunting uh, outfit because they're, they're going tiger hunting that weekend. He's just got a, a great sense of humor, and I, I had so much respect for the way he's built that program because you're kind of limited 
with the players that you can recruit. I mean, they got to want to join the Air Force. They're obviously not drafting or recruiting players out of Canada or from Europe. Um, so it's he's done a lot with a, a, a bit of a disadvantage. And he's pulled off, if, if not the biggest upset in NCAA hockey history of the tournament. It's one of three. I mean, Holy Cross over Minnesota was a 2-15. Yeah. And I believe AIC over St. Cloud was a 16-1. I think Air Force over St. Cloud was a 16-1 also. And I'll never forget that regional because all the coaches were kind of like, this is basically the Frank Saratori Invitational. <laughs> we're just here for support. You know, like that's just – when Frank's there, he kind of steals the show and – and he should. And I'll tell you what, his brother Tom is just as funny. Yeah, Bemidji. Oh, absolutely. Dave, I wanted to ask you about the World Junior Championship uh, that it's been rescheduled. It'll be back in Red Deer in Edmonton uh, in August. Uh, and I know that everybody who played in the event uh, here briefly in at the end of December is eligible to come back. They're going to make basically pretend that it didn't happen in December and they're just going to go with the same rosters. To me, I, I, I don't think the rosters are going to be the same. And I want to ask you if you agree with me or not, but I'm looking, you know, let's use Team USA for an example. Like, is Matty Beniers or Jake Sanderson, are they They're going to be two weeks away from starting the, their NHL careers? Are they going to play in the World Junior again? Okay, so that is the $64,000 question. It's a great point, and I've talked to a couple of assistant general managers that I've bumped into on the road over the last few weeks, and I've probably talked to five or six of them, and I've asked that same question, and they have all said there is no way, no way, that the higher-end guys on the U.S. or Canada's roster that they're going to sign are going to play in the World Junior Tournament. It's not even a thought. And I was like, well, wouldn't that be good for them to play in that? You know, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. Wouldn't that be good for them to play in that tournament to get them ready for training camp? And they're like, and what if they get hurt in that tournament? Yeah. Like, if they're going to get hurt, I'd rather them get hurt in our camp than get hurt there. And But there is no way we're going to put those guys in a World Junior Tournament if they're going to be playing on our team three weeks later. It's not happening. So what I think is going to happen is we all talk about this tournament being a 19-year-old tournament, and I really think that like this is going to be the youngest World Junior Tournament we will ever watch, and that might be a really good thing because I think there are some guys that are going to play this year, especially on the U.S. roster, that might wind up playing in three or four of these things, depending. Yeah. Well, okay, so other than uh, the two guys I mentioned, Sanderson and Beniers, anybody from the U.S. team that you think automatically uh, comes to mind, well, he's not going to be back. What about Brock Faber, somebody like that? I mean, if there's a good one, if I had the roster in front of you, we could probably sure. go yay or nay on, on all of them. But, I mean, I would tell you this. I would be stunned if Sanderson's playing. I would be stunned if Beniers is playing. I would be stunned if uh, – if I, I, listen, I think Sam Miskevich has a chance to sign. Okay. You know I mean, he may go too. That whole, that whole Michigan contingent may be gone as soon as Michigan loses in the regionals or, or loses in the Frozen Four or wins it and whatever. I mean, like, I think those guys are done 48 hours after and, and are playing – National Hockey League game. So, I mean, I, I really think Team USA is going to look very, very different. And that could mean Canada, too, with Owen Power and Kent Johnson from Michigan. No question, because as a first-round and a fourth-round pick, or first pick and fourth pick overall, I, I, like I said, I think that whole contingent is going. Dave, you, uh, you also do a lot of coaching, and you, you, when we uh, set this interview up, you said you wanted to address something, some changes in youth hockey uh, down in your area. Uh, what's up? I'll tell you this. I'm a big believer in the Socratic method of you can be fairly intelligent, but you constantly got to search out and get smarter and, and you've got to be open to be proven wrong. And I'm one of the few people I think in the public light that loves getting proved wrong and loves getting smarter. And when I look at the new rules with that USA hockey put out, there's a couple of them. One is they've eliminated the tag up offsides and they've also eliminated icing the puck when you're killing a penalty. 
And I can't tell you how bad I think these two rules are for the game. Now, I understand the development component behind it. And there are a lot of really, really bright people at USA Hockey that had a lot of good debate with people involved at the NHL level, college level, whatever, to come up with this idea that we can increase player development by utilizing these two rules. I think that's wrong. And here's why. The icing on the penalty kill. Everybody says, well, if you take a penalty, you shouldn't be afforded the ability just to clear the puck. I see it the other way. Number one is, what are we trying to do? We're trying to make better defensemen. It's the number one topic in hockey development is creating better defensemen. Well, when you think about it on the penalty kill, pucks are getting iced a lot. What are the defensemen doing? They're going back on retrievals. They're shoulder checking. They're using a little deception when they go back if they're under pressure. They're breaking pucks out. They're cutting the net. They're viewing the ice. They're attacking the next layer. Everything we want the modern defensemen to do, you're telling them not to do or you can't do it because basically what we're saying to the offensive team, which we are saying to them, hey, you're supposed to be doing better than with five than they're four, and we're all about skill development, so you should have more skill on the ice than they do. You should be able to hold the puck. But if you can't, we're going to give you a do-over, and we're going to start you in the offensive zone. I think it is utter nonsense. That's number one. The tag-up offside rule, I, I get the point that they want defensemen to take a puck back and regroup and get everybody out of the zone, skate hard, and find passing lanes. Like I'm okay with that component. But when you watch it in real life at the – and I've seen a lot of 15, U15, or I should say 15U and 16U games this year you know, throughout New England. I'm telling you, I watched a 50-minute game the other day. It took two hours and ten minutes to play. Hmm. And a five-minute major took 12 minutes of actual daytime to play out. And there is no way that those games should last that long. The flow of the game is gone. I don't like them. And I, um, if you want to show me proof that it's working – Show me the proof, and I'll buy it. But as of right now, I'm not seeing it. I'd hate to see the, the tag-up offside rule go back to what it used to be, what, like 15, 20 years ago uh, when we were playing that way? I don't know if that's when it changed uh, for you guys down there, but like when the NHL brought that in, it, how long ago was that? Like the 80s, 90s? Something like that. And and, and, you, and I know where you're leading to at this point. And I, my feeling is, and I know yours is too because we've talked about this off-air, and, and a lot of people feel this way. What are we doing at the youth level? We're trying to, obviously, we're trying to create a fun environment for kids to play the game. That's first and foremost. But when we get down to the brass tacks, we're also trying to develop players for the next level because the future of the NHL is rooted in grassroots and youth hockey. So if we're trying to develop players for the next level, then we should be playing at the same rules as the next level because that's what we're trying to get them to. So if the NHL decided to say, you can't ice the puck killing penalties, then you know what? Everybody else should be playing that way. But if the NHL, and Major Junior, and the NCAA, and the USHL, and the North American League, are, if those leagues are all playing the same way, and everybody underneath it at the youth hockey level isn't, there is something very, very wrong, in my opinion, with that scenario. I agreed uh, 100% with that. What about the goalie playing the puck? We, we have the trapezoid in the NHL. Uh, uh, all the levels through uh, USA Hockey and, and all the college conferences, is it all the same, or are there some where the goalies no. can go wandering? No, basically the goalies can wander anywhere they want outside the NHL or outside pro. It looks like, and and I don't like the rule at the NHL level either. Me I too. Mean, yep. We spent we spent so much time creating these goalies that can handle the puck as this great offensive component for teams. It is an unbelievable skill, and unless you play goal and use those gloves and try to do this well, <laughs> you don't realize how hard it is. And especially with today's gloves, like the gloves we used in the '80s and the '90s, those things were first baseman's mitts. Yeah. It was a little easier. What they're using now, I mean, I am blown away how well some of these goalies handle the puck with those catch gloves, which are, I mean, they're like vacuum cleaners are so big. And to take the ability of the goalie to leave and play the puck anywhere they want, 
I, I just I don't like the rule. I never like the rule. If we're going to teach players skills to use, they should be able to use those skills wherever they want to. Uh, I agree completely. Uh, Marty Turco, Martin Brodeur, heck, Tristan Jari right now is a terrific uh, a puck handler, Mike Smith. But sometimes those goalies get caught outside playing the puck and they fumble it. That's fine, too, because that's the risk-reward. I, I think I think it kind of polices itself. I I, I hate the trapezoid. Listen, you know, what's the old uh, what's the old expression? Those who don't know their history are, are condemned to repeat it. And Jacques Plant, way back in the fifties, was the guy that would you just go out and play the pucks. And Toll Blake would always tell him stay in the crease because if you turn the puck over, it's a goal. And he would be like, hey, for the for the five times it costs us a goal, the other hundred times that I do it where it helps us, right? I think the investment is worth it. And that's Jacques Plant in the fifties. And I think that that theory holds up with goalies nowadays keep playing the puck keep being aggressive with it if you're screwing up you're screwing up it happens but more likely than not if a goalie gets a good touch in a puck it really helps their team from a defensive standpoint which could turn into helping them from an offensive standpoint and they should be allowed to touch it anywhere they want inside the defensive zone dave this is great as always uh, next time we chat maybe it'll be uh, during the national tournament or something like that and if i had the power and i had a division one team you'd be my head coach I appreciate that. Thanks, buddy. Oh, if I could afford you. <laughs> <laughs> My prices are lowering by the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, man. All right. See you, bud. That was Dave Starman from CBS Sports Network, a great college hockey analyst, great analyst, period. You see him during the World Junior Championship uh, watching the uh, NHL Network as well uh, down south. And uh, that's why I wanted to ask him about the World Juniors this summer. I'm glad he agrees with me. I think the rosters are going to look very different, especially uh, for Team Canada and Team USA. Uh, we'll see. I bet you there are some changes for the European squads as well. Uh, but we'll see as the tournament gets closer and closer. Of course, between now and then, we've got the Frozen Four and the Memorial Cup and the NHL draft. So uh, lots of stuff to talk about uh, between now and August. In fact, the Helenka Gretzky Cup will be right before the World Junior this year. Bizarre. Up next on the Pipeline Show, we turn on the 2022 draft spotlight. You know how we've been uh, featuring some 19-year-olds, guys who have been passed over once, sometimes even twice, uh, for the NHL draft already because of COVID. I think there's going to be a lot more 19-year-olds taken in the 2022 draft. And this is one of them. Riley Fiddler-Schultz having an outstanding year with the WHL's Calgary Hitman. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is John Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings. And he'll lead out three Oil Kings. Riley Sachuk three on through through neutral ice. Sachuk gains the line, floats it in front for Gunther, charging down. Gunther and it scores! I didn't think they'd find a way to make that work, but it does. Dylan Gunther tucks it home. It's 6-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week has a lot of character, but tell us about it. The Pesky Pig Pale Ale. Named after the little piggy that never went to the market, this super approachable pale ale has all kinds of citrus flavors, including huge grapefruit note. Player comparable, Matthew Kachuk. Always in the mix, and no matter what, you'd rather him on your team. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. That's Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Oh, my. 
Back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, uh, but you got to get it from either Leduc or Spruce Grove. Unless you live in Western Canada, then you can order it from them, and they will ship it to you anywhere, any order, any size, vacuum sealed, absolutely delicious, fresh on delivery. Uh, you will thank me for it. WilhockBeefJerky.com. We're going to turn on the 2022 Draft Spotlight segment, and this year, I personally think there's going to be a lot of 19-year-olds being selected this year because of what we saw last year with COVID. I think there will be a lot of guys who uh, a lot of people will say they're late bloomers and things like that. Uh, so we've been featuring a lot of those types of players on the show this year, and we're going to do it again as we head down to uh, Cowtown, and the Calgary Hitman uh, the leading scorer right now is uh, an Edmontonian, Riley Fiddler-Schultz of the Calgary Hitman. Now, Riley, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, getting the chance to speak with you today. Uh, I know uh, you guys are getting set to uh, head out on the road. You're coming up here, actually, to to play. You like playing in Edmonton? You get the, a lot of friends and family being able to come out and watch you play? Yeah, it's obviously pretty cool being from Edmonton. I usually get a, quite a few friends and family that are able to come out and watch when they're not usually able to, to come down to Calgary or anything. So, yeah, it, it's always fun to play in Edmonton. Uh, I actually have never scored in Edmonton, but hopefully I can change that this weekend. All right, we'll see. Uh, the Hitman right now sitting, as, as we're speaking, it's a Tuesday night, spoiler for people who are only tuning in on the weekend, but uh, the Hitmen are sitting seventh in the conference right now. Uh, so every game is an important one, obviously, in the standings here, uh, sitting uh, tied with the Swift Current, and you got a couple of two or three teams nipping at your heels uh, for that last couple of playoff spots. you got to bring your A game every night, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we went through a bit of a tough stretch there this month, uh, in the month of February, but I think we've started to get a little bit, a little bit more traction now with our, with our play and with our game. And, uh, definitely every, every point matters at this point in the season. And it, it's going to be a dog fight right down to the end for sure. What were your expectations at the start of the year for yourself and for the team? And I wonder just how hard it was to have expectations considering the last 20 months of uh, of COVID and uh, really being hampered with development and things like that and the little short season in the spring. I don't know how much you take away from that, but what what did you expect uh, this year to be like? Yeah, I think a lot of guys that were new to the league last year, they didn't really get to see the full experience of what a full 68 game grind is like. And I think there's definitely a bit of a, an adjustment to that. Uh, I know from my experience in previous years, like especially my first year in the league, it was it was a lot, definitely, going from minor hockey, play 30-some games a year, into basically double that. So mm. it's, uh, I think we've done well so far. We've had a lot of guys develop really well, and uh, we're starting to kind of find ourselves here, I think. And how have you evolved as a player over the last, uh, well, this is your fourth season in the league now, Riley, and you mentioned your rookie year, 11 points in 53 games back then, but uh, steadily improved uh, those numbers, and this year, Obviously, a breakout season, 25 goals, 58 points, as we're chatting right now, in just 48 games. Uh, to what do you attribute to this uh, this big jump in production? Uh, I think it's just an accumulation of a lot of hard work by you know myself, my, my family, my parents, um, just coming together and trying to make me the best player I can. And uh, I think something that's definitely helped me is the mental side of the game, just to try to shift my approach and how I go about uh, each game and being confident that I'm going to be one of the best players on the ice and just trying to help my team win in whatever way I can. And 
uh, it's it's gone pretty well for me this year, and I hope to keep improving throughout the rest of the year and into future years as well. I don't want to suggest that the, the Hitmen are you know a one line team or anything like that, but it's it's obvious when you look at the the scoring for the club uh, yourself and and Sean Chagall has obviously seem to have some pretty nice chemistry. What what makes that uh, that hockey relationship click? Why why do you guys have such a good connection on the ice? Uh, I think it's like we've played together on the Hitmen for three years now so we've kind of gotten to know each other and how each other plays or we're both from Edmonton we both work out at the same gym we skate at the same places so we have a pretty good relationship off the ice as well Uh, I think that's that's key to any good on ice relationship as well um yeah we've we've done a good job finding each other this year and just trying to to help the team as much as we can and um I mean, everybody contributes in different ways, and it just happens to usually be one of us that's putting the puck in the net. But, uh, yeah, everybody can contribute in different ways on a team for sure. Riley Fiddler-Schultz is my guest. He's a uh, forward with the Calgary Hitmen of the Western Hockey League. And uh, this part of the show, Riley, what we like to do is let the audience get to know somebody that is, like you, draft eligible. So uh, I know uh, you've gone through the draft a couple of times. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But uh, for the casual NHL fans, this is a this is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular listeners will know about the Hitmen and, and well, know what you're doing this year. But uh, those casual mm-hmm. NHL fans who don't care about junior hockey, they'll They'll listen to a segment like this because you're a draft-eligible player, uh, so they'll want some background. Let's start at the beginning. We already touched on that you're from Edmonton, uh, born and raised. Is this where you uh, spent all your time? Yeah, I spent the vast majority of my childhood in Edmonton. We uh, lived in Kelowna for a couple of years when I was playing peewee and Bantam hockey and then came back for my second-year Bantam, first-year midget. And yeah, that's now where I call home. Who, who got you into hockey at, and how old were you when you first started playing? Uh, well, my uncle played in the NHL for 15 years, uh, Vern Fiddler. So he, family or hockey kind of runs in my family. So basically as soon as I could walk, I was running around on the ice and then eventually up to some skates and, um, just always been a part of my life. I can't really remember a time where I wasn't playing hockey. Jeez, did Vern uh, teach you how to take face-offs? Man, that was uh, one of his calling. That was one of his traits. Yeah, he, he helps me a lot with that whenever I'm kind of struggling or anything in that regard I, I always call him and he always has some helpful tips that I can <laughs> I can use and uh it usually helps me out pretty well have you always been a forward or did you did you ever try the blue line or maybe when you were a little to throw the pads on uh, I tried a couple of games of goalie but I uh, I got lit up pretty bad so <laughs> my my parents weren't too weren't too uh, sad about that that they didn't have to raise a goalie kid so yeah i've pretty much always been a forward all right you knew fairly early on that it uh, between the pipes wasn't the right spot for you yeah tell me about the uh, the bandman draft uh a lot of guys that i chat with uh, the some of them were at home uh other guys were at school there was a handful of players who were out in philadelphia at a tournament but uh, a seventh round pick uh, of the hitman uh what was draft day like for you yeah i went to uh school in the morning that morning uh I was just kind of keeping an eye on it in my phone. I wasn't expecting to go very high in that draft. Um, and then my mom picked me up at lunch from school and we were driving home. As, and uh, just as we pulled into the driveway at home, I saw my name pop up next to Calgary and I showed her and she just started crying and she was so proud. And 
it was a special day for sure for me and my family. That's awesome. Now there's 22 teams in the league, and unless it's Edmonton that drafts you, you know you're moving away from home. Uh, what was your mm-hmm. reaction to that, especially when it's Calgary, you know, arch rival cities and all that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up, I always went to Oil Kings games and kind of cheered against Calgary, but uh, it definitely didn't take long for the, <laughs> the hatred for Edmonton to come once I started playing for Calgary. But um, I was lucky enough that my mom could come down and billet me. Uh, so it wasn't, it was an adjustment obviously, but it was nice being able to have still live somewhat at home and have mom's home cooking and just all the different things that come along with living with your parents. So that was nice. That is nice. Uh, now being an oil King fan growing up, uh, having Steve Hamilton as your head coach now, pretty nice fit. Yeah, for sure. He's, uh, I think he's, he's really helped me grow and, you know, I, I always have liked him as a coach and yeah, he obviously had a quite a bit of success with Edmonton and hopefully in the next year or two, we can try to replicate some of that. Well, Riley, for uh, those who haven't had a chance to watch you play and I can throw out the numbers again, 58 points this year in 48 games, 25 of those are goals. Uh, that might not paint the whole picture though. How do you describe yourself as a player? Uh, I think I'm a hard nosed player. I consider myself kind of a power forward, like I'm um, good on the face offs and I, I try to implement a lot of grind down low as well as uh, chances off the rush as well. Um, I think that's something I've definitely tried to work on with um, not being like the top scorer on every single team I've played on. Try to kind of carve out a role otherwise. And um, yeah, I just think that that's something that's really important at the next level. So that's something I've always tried to work on. It sounds like you almost describing some former players that you had uh, with the Hitmen, guys like Mark Kastelik and players like that. You sort of follow the example of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. L- learning from him and watching what he did every day. He was one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. And uh, just trying to follow in kind of that those footsteps and uh, try to imitate somewhat with still staying true to my game uh now the sheet i'm looking at says six foot 195 pounds uh how up to date is that yeah that's pretty accurate okay now the interesting thing for the audience that that might not know a a whole lot about you is you're 19 right now you'll be 20 by the time the draft rolls around so you've gone through the draft what a couple of times uh, already Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about the draft now do you want to get drafted or i mean if you don't get selected you could have a number of teams offering uh, free agent contracts. So how do you feel about the draft at this point? Yeah, I mean, it's still, I think, definitely a goal of mine. It's obviously a little disappointing not going the last two years, but I think it just motivated me to work harder and um, try to get to a point where I am one of the, the top guys and I can see myself being close to a pro level and I, I mean, if I go this year, that's great. And if I don't, it's not going to change how I train, how I play or anything like that. So I'm I'm excited. I'm hopeful for the draft, but it's not the end all be all. All right. Fair enough. Is that are those conversations you ever have with with uh, Sean Chagall, who has gone through the draft and has been uh, chosen just what that experience is like? A little bit. He uh, obviously that for anybody that gets drafted, it's a very exciting moment. And um, he definitely deserved to be drafted last year he's a heck of a player and uh i'm yeah i'm just kind of hoping to carve my own path all right fair enough uh just uh what about a, a month month and a half left of the regular season uh, still lots of hockey to be played 
what sort of things are you and the Hitmen focusing on to make sure you you claim one of those uh, final playoff spots? I think just kind of trying to find a little more offense here and there. We we kind of when we when we're struggling, that's that's been a bit of our our problem. So I think collectively as a group, trying to find more ways to put the puck in the net. And uh, I mean, we have a young decor, so that they've done a really great job of developing, especially the last month when we've had some injuries on the back end and guys have had to step up and. Um, yeah, I think as guys get more comfortable and more confident, I think especially our defensemen, it's going to really benefit us going forward and benefit our D zone, our transition, and everything like that as well. Uh, lastly, uh, being an Edmonton guy, were the Oilers your team, or uh, have you suddenly become a Flames fan? Uh, where are you at with the NHL? I've kind of always liked the Flames. I I know it's kind of like the Cardinal sin. I kind of like both teams, actually, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, right now it's hard not to like the Flames. They're playing a a great brand of hockey and really buying into what Sutter's teaching or preaching to them. And yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do in the playoffs. Pretty cool. You get to share a building like that. Do you cross paths with the Flames very much? Uh, yeah, we see them most days. Just walking into the rink, just say a quick hi every now and then. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great playing in the Saddle Dome. I it's my favorite rink for sure that I've ever played in. So. I'm very grateful that I get to play here. Riley, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck to you and the Hitmen the rest of the way. Uh, we'll see you maybe on Friday as uh, the Hitmen roll through Edmonton to take on the Oil Kings. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. There is Riley Fiddler-Schultz of the uh, Calgary Hitmen having a terrific season. Those Hitmen are in action tonight against the Edmonton Oil Kings. In fact, home-and-home uh, home this weekend uh, with the Oil Kings. Tonight at Rogers Place, Friday and Saturday down in Cowtown at the Saddle Dome. Now, I mentioned it briefly at the start of the uh, this week's episode. Uh, the Hitman I'm really intrigued by for an off-ice situation because the WHL sent out a press release this week uh, asking media to let's not talk to you know your Russian-born players or your Belarusian players uh, about world events because they're not in a situation or they're not in a position to address that, answer that. There's really no need for that. But inside the dressing room, I'm curious because Calgary's got Maxim Muranov, who's from Russia. They've got Anton Astashevich, who's from Belarus. And Anton Yatshishin, who is listed from Burnaby, he's actually born in Ukraine. He's got lots of family in Ukraine. So you got a Russian, a Belarusian, and a Ukrainian player all, all within the, uh, the same dressing room. I, I think it's fair to assume that there's some awkwardness there. But as a team, I mean, these guys just want to play hockey. I'm guessing Steve Hamilton, Jeff Chanout, the GM uh, there, Steve Hamilton, the head coach, what they do to to address that in the, inside the dressing room. That would be a, a tricky situation, but how do you let that not take over your your focus? You know, take uh, These guys are right in the thick of a playoff race. They can't control world events, but they can control but they can control their focus. And and I think uh, the coach and the GM probably play a role in that. I'm just curious what that's like. Did see that uh, Anton Yashishin is uh, last game he had a tape job on his stick was uh, blue and yellow as the for the Ukrainian flag and his heritage. We'll see if he's using the same tape job tonight here in Edmonton. All right, that does it for this week's episode. Uh, thanks to all three of my guests that you heard from: uh, Dave Starman, Brandon Ewan Sheshin, and here with Riley Fiddler Schultz. 
Next week on the program, it uh, looks like I'll have a couple of 2022 draft spotlight segments, uh, both of them pretty high-profile players. One of them, actually neither one of them I'm going to uh, tip off just yet. Uh, one of them is confirmed, and he would be a top-five player for the uh, NHL draft, so looking forward to that one. The other one is a guy that might be off the radar or on the edge of the radar for casual fans, but uh, NHL scouts definitely know all about him. Uh, but where this week we had one player in the spotlight, next week looks like we'll have two. And uh, now that the playoffs have begun, we'll have to keep tabs, uh, extra tabs on everything happening around that and uh, the stretch drive uh, towards the playoffs in the USHL, the NAHL, and across the Canadian Hockey League as well. So lots to talk about. We'll do all of that next week. Thanks to everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. All three of these interviews that you heard on this full episode They've been individually available to patrons for like three days. I did them on Monday, Tuesday. Uh, so they've been available for a while now. And that's uh, one of the perks that uh, patrons get. It's a couple of bucks a month, 10% less than that. If you do it on an annual basis, you go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show for that. All right. Between now and next week, everybody, I hope you get out and have a chance to watch some junior college hockey so that we can chat about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show, which is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Keith Flaming. Take care, everybody. See ya.